we get so caught up in how does it look? What is the impact? And ultimately, like marketing is about capturing attention. You can always optimize after that. But like the very best marketers just know how to capture attention and do it really, really well. It's one of the few things you can't fake. It's one of the few things you can't buy. If you're a great marketer and you can capture attention, then you're one of the best out there. Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the no BS marketing podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. The goal of marketing is to capture attention. Today I'm joined with Adam Ryan, the CEO of Workweek and formerly the president of The Hustle. We chatted about how to create a media company inside of a business, how media and content marketing are the same and different, and why media budget should be separate from the marketing budget. Look forward to you hearing the episode. What's up, Adam? Welcome to the podcast. Daniel, I'm so pumped to be here. Honored you have me. No, everybody, if you are watching video on this, it's not my cousin or brother on the other <laughs> side. But um, I don't know. It could be. We might be related. Uh, I don't know if I have South African roots. I'm a little more north than that. Well, I want to get into how did you get into this media space? So I studied education uh, and was planning on being a teacher. And during college uh, for money and as a kind of side gig, I started taking on marketing jobs. I worked at Red Bull and did a lot of their like brand management for the university level at, uh, where I went to school and just got to flex tons of creativity there. I did a stint with Procter & Gamble for Old Spice and got to do like activations. I even did something for like on the detergent side for cheer and realized that I just had a lot more fun with it. And the marketing side, like there was a mix of like analytics and creativity, which is kind of like my my favorite place to be. And then as I graduated and started progressing my career, I realized media companies like in the end are actually a mix of creativity and math, uh, which are kind of goes back to that. And I got into advertising sales in early, early 2014. And I just had a ton of fun talking to clients, big brands, emerging brands, solving their problems, listening of like, Hey, how can we actually turn this into a big successful marketing campaign? And then over time, kind of took those skill sets and turned it into like, how do we build an actual media brand on marketing both sides of the coin? So that was kind of the way that I, I entered the space. Talking about media, I know you've been in media companies yourself, but how, if you were to start today and someone hired you as the head of media, VP of media at a, a brand today, how would you go about executing that? I think to get this right, you have to like one, be aligned philosophically. What media companies tend to do really well, or people that run media organizations, is that they build what I call cultural liquidity. And so imagine you have this pool um, that is full of cultural liquidity. And that is the strength of a media org. And you build that by trust. You build that by entertainment. You build that by connection. And media companies at their strength, those are the three things that they do, right? So ultimately, what media organizations are supposed to do, whether within a bigger org or 
independently, that's the goal is like to create that cultural liquidity pool and have that be very filled and constantly be refilled with. And the bigger that is, obviously, the larger the audience is. And then when you're attaching that to when you're in a bigger org, like a software company, the philosophically, what you want to do is just drain a little bit of that out into the software products, meaning lower your CAC, use that connection, that trust to lower your marketing costs for that bigger product by like promoting it. What you can't do is drain the entire pool and not refill it. And so philosophically, that's how I would start and say like, hey, this is this is what we're going to build. This is what it takes to refill the pool, aka investment. This is like what we expect to drip out of this. We're not going to just drain it. We're going to drip it slowly out to help the core business. But ultimately, this creates like a flywheel, obviously, that's sustainable. And to me, that's where a lot of people are going wrong is they just see like, oh, this is this huge audience. We should just promote all of our products. We should just do this. And all of a sudden, that that pool starts to get drained and there's nothing left because it wasn't also refilled. And then the other thing is not having your budgets attached to performance, which might sound counterintuitive to most marketers. But if you're going to build an actual media organization, it can't be attached to like how many leads you send to that software company or how many courses you sell or whatever that may be. It has to be like, hey, to run this properly, this is our budget. These are some of the ways we plan on making money, hopefully long-term profitable money. But like you can't just have this like budget attached to performance. And I've been through that at Under Armour. That's how our budgets were made is like, hey, how much shirts and shoes can we drive through my fitness pal? And ultimately, that just like doesn't align incentives to, to build the organization without draining that cultural liquidity pool. A lot of people think of a media company inside an org as, okay, we're going to create these media assets and it's going to be a content creation, which is going to fuel the funnel and fuel top funnel, middle funnel of great type of content. But how do you think about it as companies creating it into a revenue arm of the business? Yeah, I've talked to a lot of different companies about this and there's a couple of the cons. You have to look at like you're limited in no normally the way that you can monetize a media company, typically advertising, subscription, uh, merch or commerce, right? Those are like the most typical ways to monetize. With advertising, you know, at Under Armour, they were like, hey, can't ever advertise with Nike and MyFitnessPal. Makes sense. It's obviously a moat that also does decrease the addressable opportunity of revenue for that platform. So pros and cons there. Subscription, right? Harder to do, takes a lot of effort. You need complete focus to normally make that work. And then you're normally limiting reach, like which the goal is to have the biggest pools possible. Merch, you just have to have great brand affinity. Margins aren't great. You get into like logistics supplies. The like takeaway of that, the biggest issue is you're running like two different businesses at once. And a lot of people believe that they can just like figure out a media business. They're like, oh, I run the software company. It's the same. It's like, let's treat it like content marketing and we'll do some ads. And like the reality is just like totally different skill sets. You have to have the mentality going in that like we have this business here and this business here. And it is like Amazon running a marketplace and Amazon running Amazon Web Services. Those aren't remotely related leadership levels for the people that are running the day to day of those because they're totally different backgrounds and skill sets. Doesn't mean you can't do it, but it takes the mindset of like understanding we're running two different business units here. And the problem is someone normally internally wants to kind of like look good. 
And they're like, well, I'll own the media arm because it's going to lower my CAC and I'm the marketer that's going to look really smart because like I'm beating our CAC goals and I'm the best marketer. But like that person probably doesn't know how to monetize. And if they do, it's really difficult to just like manage both those things at once. And so I'd rather have the connective tissue not being on like how you're monetizing the, uh, the budgets, but rather the connective tissue of like, how are we actually like promoting our core product and having someone solely focus on that, but like keeping monetization separate from the other business. Everybody right now is talking about that create a media company and every company should think like a media company, but this is causing a lot of noise in the market. What do you think is the greatest challenge right now in creating a media company inside of a company? The greatest challenge is that people think it's just like as easy as turning a spigot. Like, cool, we just bought this newsletter. We just did this thing. Content to commerce is like so easy to say. It sounds sexy. It sounds cool. And I think people just believe that it's easy to operate and do. And the difficulty is it's actually it's a difficult business to operate. Like media is an extraordinary hard business to operate. And on top of it, how do you actually set it up for sustainability? I think that's the problem is a lot of people making these moves are looking at like, hey, the next quarter, the next year, we think we can add this much revenue. But like the best media companies are not just 10 years old, they're like 100 years old. And so then is anyone at all thinking about long-term at all? about the media organization? Or are you just thinking like, hey, get that newsletter out there, promote the brand, drive us leads, let's see what we can make this quarter. If you're thinking that way, it's just gonna fail sooner or later. And I think that's a huge challenge because the people with the capital to buy media companies or build these in-house typically are publicly traded companies or companies with an aggressive board and raise lots of capital, which then tends to allow shorter term outlooks, not longer term outlooks. And so they, it's kind of a chicken and egg situation. I like that. I think it also goes back to what you were saying at the beginning about separating budgets, because if you have the same budget, then you're always going to be usually thinking short term, especially in like a revenue generating art. But if you have a, if you have a budget. It's like death by thousand paper cuts. It feels insignificant. Oh, let's just like promote the product one more time in the newsletter like feels insignificant. But over time, you just keep doing that. People are like, fuck this. You know, I don't want to be part of this anymore. And they unsubscribe. And I think the other, ch- you asked like the challenge of media is that like it's getting more competitive. There's like really good content out there across the board. And everyone has different incentives and motivations behind that content. But like if it's free, it's easy to jump ship and stop consuming. And so you're entering a market that's like incredibly competitive and needs to be invested in to actually win. I think 10 years ago, people got away with average content because there was a content deficit on most platforms, especially yeah. newsletters. There was a content deficit on LinkedIn. There's a content deficit on Facebook. But now what's winning is the best content, the people that are creating the content. And it's not, I could just put a content on a platform consistently and win. Um, it's now it's actual good content that's winning over time. And I think there's less tricking algorithms in general. I mean, not there's still algorithms are still play and managing platforms well 
is something that some brands have really focused on and done great with. I think when I think about media, though, it's like actually doing like multimedia. Are you in newsletters? Are you on TikTok? Do you are you looking at YouTube? Are you like actually building out? If omni-channel is the term that you may use uh, for retail distribution, are you creating like an omni-channel media org? And there's a huge difference by being like, hey, we're a brand with a social person and being like, we're a brand actually like investing in a media org. And it may sound the same, but it's just not. I like the separation of because a lot of things I also find is, and I got this from Rory Sutherland, who I interviewed back in the day. And he says, he says that marketing today thinks of it is like a Sudoku puzzle, which means that like it's so that everybody has their specialty but they don't see like the every part of their the sudoku puzzle so like demand gen sees one sees one part of the answer the social media sees another and they can't see like the overall approaching but media needs to be seen as like how could i fit the whole business with media like you can't you have to have the, all the whole you have to have all the answers of sudoku puzzle you can't just be like oh what am I going to do for demand gen and not look at like, how does demand gen fit, fit social? How does it social fit this? How does this fit this? And like you said, omni-channel, but you have to be on the same page with all marketing leaders and, and other organization leaders that are in the org. The biggest mistake that folks are going to make when doing this like content to commerce strategy is not preparing themselves that it's not going to just sell a bunch of shit immediately. It's not going to necessarily be profitable from like a marketing angle. And I think if you even view it, which almost all of the big companies that have done acquisitions, they have the media org report to the head of marketing. And in many ways, I just think that's wrong. I think there's a new role that's coming to fruition that is more about audience relationship, media, community, however you want to define it. That's about like extending LTV, that's about actually like creating a moat of the brand. And yeah, you could roll that up into marketing because those are KPIs they carry. But like ultimately, if you want to do this successfully, you can't be held accountable just to drive leads. You have to focus on how do you make this sustainable long term? Because like there is no overnight solution to build one if you're building it from scratch. And if you're buying it, the likelihood that you fuck it up even more faster is very high. Because you're just going to like, hey, we never had an advertising team. Let's cut them, right? That's like what people are doing. Well, now you are truly putting a media organization into a marketing budget. And you're only going to keep that there sooner or later is if it's making money for your core business. And that's not ever, that was never the intention of media. That's like what content marketing's for. But that's not what media is for. And I, I just see them very differently. And I think you made a good distinction, like media is not content marketing, which is like where sometimes it feels it is. It's a whole strategy on its own that content marketing could play a part in, social media can play a part in, but it's not just one. A lot of people think of it as like, okay, if we just create content, that's media and I'll put it on the website. The way that I would separate those is because like media can be content marketing to be clear. But the difference is, is impact and intention here. Great media can have an impact like content marketing. But if you look at media with the intention that it is content marketing, you're on a slippery slope to zero. What I like to do is think about like, what is the intention of this? 
And then like, what are the best possible, what's the best possible impact you can have? And great media can have some of the best impact. If we look at what Barstool did with Penn's acquisition of Barstool, the impact has been incredibly high, but they're running that business like a media business, but the impact is like content marketing. But if the intention instead was like, hey, you're only going to get budgets based on how many book signups, uh, gaming book signups that we get for Penn, it's going to be a rocky road. That to me is just understanding intention and impact of, of, uh, of a media asset is, is kind of how you can differentiate from content marketing. I think just like traditional content marketing, you think of it as uh, it's under the marketing org, but it still could be considered content marketing. It just might not necessarily be under the content marketing head of content marketing. And I think like the head, like really great content marketers, like I think of Tracy Wallace uh, at Clavio, like every asset she creates, she tries to make it useful, have utility, enhances the brand. Like there's really high quality content marketing out there. It's just a different lens. And I think if you talk to some of the best content marketers, they kind of want to have the same goals as a media organization. They're like, don't hold us accountable to just leads. Like we're building this brand halo and we're doing this thing. And so that's why, you know, it's a great line, but there's definitely just a big difference. And, and most of that has to do with like audience relationship and intention. One question I have for you is what is a marketing hill you would die on? The hill that I would die on for right now that, that I'm thinking about is the best marketing no matter what, is just something that captures people's attention. We get so caught up in how does it look? What is the impact? And ultimately, like marketing is about capturing attention. You you can always optimize after that. But like the very best marketers just know how to capture attention and do it really, really well. It's one of the few things you can't fake. It's one of the few things you can't buy. If you're a great marketer and you can capture attention, then you're one of the best out there and everything else is just optimization. And uh, to me, when I think about how I like to think about marketing is like start at the very beginning, everyone likes to talk about conversion rates or, or this. And, but it's like, start at the very beginning, how are we going to capture their attention? And that's where creativity and all that good stuff comes in. And, and those are the best marketers. I think so many people just overcomplicate like what the goals of marketing is and if you did not capturing someone's attention is the first thing, you're not going to get anybody. And a lot of people get into orgs where attention is already like implied because they built brand and they built all these things. But it's like when you're starting from zero, every little asset you create, whether it's content or an ad or anything in marketing is just the first goal is, is someone going to read it or someone going to consume it? Is someone going to do something with it? I think there's like the other hill I would die on is like brand has never mattered more because attention's being taken for granted because like Facebook advertising and all these like scalable ways to like capture conversion. But to me, the people that are capturing the best type of attention are the best marketers and brand has never mattered more to actually distinguish yourself there and investing in that up front. Like if, if I was a marketer and I was like, God, I just like don't know my brand guidelines that well, or if I was a founder, like just getting company started or whatever, and you don't like feel amazing about your brand, you're going to want to change it 12 months, 18 months on the road. But if you don't feel amazing about your brand right now, neither do your customers. And all of your KPIs are going to get better when you have a great brand. And so those are kind of the two things that I'd, I'd lean into. 
I think people get confused about like brand marketing and brand. You have to know your why and what your purpose and your passion and what you, how people should feel about you before you can even go to market to do something. I think that's brand. A lot of people think of brand as like, okay, we're doing these brand activations or we're like, it's the website, but it starts with like the philosophy of like, who are we in going in the market? Who, how do we want people to feel? Who the the competitors in the market that we're trying to be different from? Um, how are we different? Like, what's our only statement? Like, what could we do only do better than yeah. everybody else? I think a lot of people think of it as it is a big exercise, but it's it's so important to know your why, so everybody knows what they're they're going well, toward. And the later that you do that, the harder it is to do it because you're like, oh, well, that kind of conflicts with this and that. You know, we already said this and we've done that before, and we have this ad that like does really well, but that's not like meeting the brand guy. Like it's so hard to create like what brand guideline, what a great brand has is constraints. And, you know, when I worked at Red Bull, I just was amazed with the constraints that they put on the brand. Like it was like, Hey, you were never to do anything with a can that is crushed. You can't ever show anything with a can that's crushed. That was a constraint. You can't ever put a can near trash or a bathroom the wings team, the people that drive around the Mini Coopers, you can't ever just reach back here to get it out of the backpack. You have to have someone reach or go behind you and grab that. And everything was about creating this like premium experience that they created constraints for. And if you don't have a brand with like really good constraints early, later, everybody's going to be bouncing all over the place and doing a bunch of different things. So then when you create constraints, people are going to be like, yeah, but I do this thing outside of that. So like, can we not have that? And now it's really tough to like nail it. And so earlier you do it, the better, um, because it allows you to have like ultimate creativity within those constraints. It helps people focus. Um, and I, th- I mean, Dave Gear says like the best marketing has guardrails, like, to, like what you just said was constraints. I think like, you have to have some operating parameters. Otherwise, you just could, what you just said, you could be all over the place with your marketing. But I want to go into another question because you are one of the most like forward thinking people and futuristic thinking people I know. So I know it's tough to predict what's going to happen in the future, but what's one trend you're seeing right now that marketers should jump on? Taking advantage of individuals. I think the term influencer, you know, it's around for consumers still. I think it's fine. Like Instagram kind of has that brand. TikTok now like has influencers, creators is coming, the term creator is coming up. But everything that I'm seeing, you're getting less reach with individuals. They, you know, historically you might have worked with media companies and, you know, institutional brands to achieve goals, particularly on the paid front. And I see a huge shift in the future where, massive amounts of budget are put towards individual relationships and brands and them going much deeper with like one to two to three people. And in many ways, it's taking like the celebrity contracts that used to exist that, hey, we're going to sign Shaquille O'Neal. He's going to do these commercials. He's also going to own a few of the franchises. We're going to like build this holistic relationship with him where like we've aligned incentives. I think that's happening on the micro level in the future where people are saying like, hey, we're going to pay you this. We're going to give you some of this. We're going to like actually make it where you love this brand and it's going to allow much better results for a much more sustained period of time. I also think you're going to see 
almost like more rejection of people working with you if you're not a good person on that front. I think there's been a lot of, I've seen this up front, but in the past, no one's checked marketers at the door. They've said, they've sent over contracts where creators and influencers have exclusivity clauses that they don't disclose. And then creators don't pay a lawyer because they don't make enough money for that. And then they get screwed. And no one's really talked about those things. No one's like branded the marketers that have done that and take advantage of these folks. And I think you're going to start to see where creators and who are going to start to own the narrative and allow to become the best marketing channel, they're going to start to push back on the brands that have treated them like crap. And marketers are going to have to start saying like, hey, this isn't just about paying these people. This is about like building a relationship, treating them fairly. And ultimately, we can still achieve our marketing goals. And I think in, in two or three years right now, I think that's you know starting to, to creep that way. But in two or three years, you're, that's going to kind of become status quo. I mean, it, you're seeing it on TikTok and stuff like that, where a lot of people follow a brand because of the person that's like behind it and they're building a relationship whether virtually through a relationship with the people but like if you have too many influencers and creators on your brand they don't know who to build a relationship with they don't know who is attached to the brand you also can't nail down like the voice you're trying to go with those people so it's like like you said it's a long-term play and i think a lot of people the best people right now are thinking the long-term stuff of like, okay, this creator understands the, the audience the best. They know how to build relationships. Every time they show up in content, the audience is building a deeper, deeper relationship with them. Then turn people buy from people, people buy from people they like and trust. And that's, yeah. but you can, if they can't trust you until you, they've built a relationship. Yeah. Over time. And leverage just has shifted. Like, in 2016, you could pay an influencer only a cheap affiliate price and they push you on Instagram. And like now they know they're worth more. And that's and like it's only the big ones really know they're worth. Like sooner or later, it's going to be more and more folks. And so I think that's a big shift. And then the other one, if I was a marketer being like, what skill set should I develop for the future right now that I think like is going to be in need? There's a lot that you could say about data and analytics and stuff, but those are kind of overplayed. If I was like going to learn a skill set, I would really learn how to do like funnel, funnel management, extended like LTV. And I think you're going to see a lot of the really great brands say, we're going deeper on our audience that we have today. Saturations become so much in the marketplace that I'm going to use just like a, a one-off example here. But if you're a shampoo company that's a, a really successful like d2c shampoo company and you're having that the first hire i'm making in like two years is like someone to help us go from shampoo to soap and work down the line of the bathroom and like verticalizing the consumer habits i think is where brands are headed and if i was a marketer that's what i'd be focused on perfecting my skill set at it's like how do i creatively help this brand go deeper with the audience that they already have captured. It's funny because people think of LTV only in the way of just like I've captured this customer that's bought right now. Like how do I keep this customer to buying? But like there's also like having that LTV of audience that hasn't bought right now. And I think that's where a lot of people don't spend a lot of time because they think, oh, they haven't 
gave us that email yet, or they're not in our system yet, or they're not doing this. So I can't really do this, but I think the LTV of like the future LTV of like, okay, if I got an audience of like 20,000 or 30,000, how much percentage would buy? How much of those people would stay longer? How many people are consuming our content? I think people think of it as just like, okay, it's my customer, these customers I've worked with now, how long have they stayed in this platform? If I acquire a new one, how long they do, but they don't think about like, the top of funnel people that are just like raving fans that haven't bought yet or just love your brand because like people talk about it or they don't need your product right now because they don't have a need, but they will need it in two to three years or four years from now. Yeah, there was a company I was advising for a while called Pila. Uh, they're like one of the largest phone case companies. They sell like eco-friendly built phone cases. They, I mean, they do tens and tens of maybe across at this point almost hundreds of millions of dollars of just phone case sales meaning they also have millions of customers a year and we help them develop a strategy of like how do we get those people into a media ecosystem to like learn about more sustainable brands and and initiatives and then later pila launched lomi which was a a way to like uh, a compost machine in your kitchen that's like beautiful built it's kind of like quip toothbrush but for composting they kind of like took it and just made it prettier and they did i don't know five million dollars of kickstarter sales mm-hmm. on that using the audience that they already had possessed and so when you like think about that that's like creativity but there's also math involved of like hey we have this many customers how do we get this many this way then how do we get here and i think that's the future and that's like you could call it funnel management extension of ltv whatever it is but like the best brands in the future will recognize that they have the best audience they've already had is ones they've already captured and in the past you just like kind of sent email marketing updates with sales and that's been like how most people do this on the b2b front you know not that differently just like blast email marketing and it's just such a lame way of thinking of keeping a relationship with an audience even though it it does work email works but it's just not creative at all and sooner or later when everyone's inboxes are oversaturated with marketing emails and they unsubscribe like then what and so the people that come up with creative solutions to keep that relationship alive are going to do really well a lot of people are doing it as well because how platforms can change in a second. Like that's what happened with all these e-commerce stores when Apple decided, Hey, like privacy data, like you can't do, Facebook's harder to use now. And all the e-commerce stores who relied on a rented audience got screwed. They didn't have first party data. They didn't build an audience and they couldn't tap into the audience because they were just like, I have a rented audience that's working right now. Yeah. And the whole like rented own thing, I think is like kind of over. Everyone knows like email addresses and phone numbers now are like the move to go to. Uh, I think Facebook scared everyone into knowing that, but that's not even like getting into the batter's box. That's like, just like means you're like entering the field. Like that's not how you win is just a collect. And I think that's where the opportunity is in the future is the people that like understand actually the creative ways to keep that relationship alive and to add value, which then ultimately has an impact of commerce. That's where the fight's going to be had as like the people that actually can do that. Well, everyone's willing to give up their email address and phone number at some point. It's like not hard to even trick people into that. But then sooner or later, it's it's how do you actually be creative enough to, to work? I mean, I think you make a good point too. And I think a lot of people, there's that fight between rented and owned audience. But I think the problem is like, even if you have an owned audience and you've, you've not done anything 
to like give them value, like they will forget that they gave you their email a month ago or two months ago or three months ago. And it just becomes, and that's why like my friend, Chris Walker, he always says that like, okay, cool. You have 10,000 emails, but I have like a hundred thousand people actively coming back to my content every single day on social. Like, and you have people that you own that maybe you can email, but that's just like one play that you just could squeeze revenue out of it. It's not an audience. It's just an email. Well, and that, that's, that, that goes back to the hill out die on, right? It's about attention. And like, it doesn't matter if you have an email address or social or whatever way, like ultimately if you're bad at garnering attention, you're bad at marketing. That to me, it doesn't matter the threat. And I think that something to recognize that there's different skill sets for that. Like some people are really, really good at TikTok and they have no idea how to create like a newsletter strategy. Don't try to force one person to do all those things because you're just going to end up doing like crap job across the board and then you're not going to gain any attention. I love that. And I think also the two things that a lot of marketers fall prey to is like there's capturing existing demand in the market of like people who want something and then creating demand in the market of people doing that. I like think about, and this is sometimes just goes to your product, but like, I think like Uber, what they did was they realized that in order to succeed, they had to increase the amount of people willing to take a cab ride. And what they did was offer a referral system, which at the time obviously was newer, but it was like, Hey, we just tapped you to do this. We're going to give you 10 bucks, but invite your friend. And so many people have created referral systems, but they forget the purpose of like what has made them work. The best referral programs basically of all time, like the hall of fame of Mount Rushmore of referral programs are Harry's razor, Uber, and probably morning brew. And what people forget is the common connective tissue in that is that they actually were first movers really in the space of like entering like harry's was like hey you should have your razors on a subscription versus going to the store and buying them every three months like that was a new thing and they realized they had to like spread that message and increase the amount of people willing to do that uber same thing what referrals don't work is once a market's like saturated and everyone knows that it's a possibility and like it's you're not educating them, you're not actually incentivized. Like, why would I do this? Oh, I already signed up for this. And so when I think about building the the brand and marketing around around these things, I think sometimes people forget of like why these things actually worked in the first place versus just like ripping them off and going. There's also different obviously different types of referral programs, but I think the way that you're thinking of like how do I just get to the bunch of net new people and how do I get people to talk about this? Cause people trust people. But at the end of the day, like having a marketing newsletter is not a new thing. Having, having a SaaS company is not a new thing. Like, unless it's like a first mover in that market. Like, the Yeah. And I market. like, if, if price is the reason why someone shares, it's not going to be like, then you're on a race to zero, right? Cause someone will just offer a bigger and better bounty the thing you want to do is like make people feel like they're part of something new or have a new opportunity that like in order to get that Robin hood, right? Like they had the wait list because so many people were excited and then they had the sign up and the more people refer, the higher the wait list. Like that was only because it was like something no, no one had no trade fee stock program. It was a new thing. So now everyone's trying to rip off Robin hood's wait list, but like, it's like, Hey, I can go to a competitor that already exists. Why would I like sign up for this? when you create marketing campaigns that are around growing your like overall audience base and customer base, that you're trying to do it with not traditional paid efforts, you have to know if you're going to copy other people, 
you have to know why it worked and ask yourself that. And like, again, just start at the beginning. Who are some people in the media space or in the marketing space that are inspiring you right now? There's a lot of creators out there. Dave Gerhardt, you mentioned like when people have built incredible individual brands and turn that into like commerce opportunities. And like, it's just like the playbook that everyone wants to figure out and they've done it on the, their own. And I think that's really admirable from a brand side. HubSpot is the goat of their SEO strategy, right? Like they've set the market and I think they've con- continued to try to invest to keep up. And so I'm just like paying attention to them um, always because like they do have a lot of like great marketing strategy that's unique typically to the software space. When I look at, um, there's a few others, like I like Mar- Marketer Hire has like an interesting newsletter approach, trying to kind of build out more of that while they while they build out their uh, talent marketplace. There's a lot of folks at Workweek uh, with the creators that I like look up to on the marketing front. I think Tommy Clark with what he's doing at Triple Whale is like really admirable. He's killing it. You know, you have grown like crazy because of like what you've shown on LinkedIn. And like, it's a platform that I very much underrated as well and shown that it like can actually be a, a really, really big channel. And the last one I would say is Charlie Light on Twitter it was uh, someone that we just started working with at Workweek who created a parody account on Twitter uh, that was like this old man. And it was hilarious. He got to like 175,000 followers on Twitter and built like a big agency out of it. And it just showed like how people who know how to capture attention really know how to turn into a business. Last question I have for you is um, if someone was starting in media today, what is advice would you give them that they will come back and thank you five years later? Media, I'd say profitability is the only way to make it work. Focus on it fast and early. And two, in the end, it's just about making things that people like. So adjust, adapt, listen, learn of your content strategy. Because in the end, like doesn't matter how good of an operator you are, doesn't matter how good of a writer you are, doesn't matter your pedigree, your deg- everything. If people don't like what you're doing, it's just not going to work. Uh, there's a lot of ways to argue what people want, but ultimately they'll show you that through their own action. And finally, where could people find you and what you're doing and what you're up to? So I have a podcast called Media Moves, uh, where I uh, interview folks that are focusing on content to commerce opportunities or other media organizations. I interview creators. Uh, so you can find me there. I also have a newsletter, Perpetual, uh, where I go deep on, on breaking down analysis in the media industry. And on Twitter, I'm Adam R-Y underscore in uh, Adam Ryan with, a, with the A being underscore. So that's where you can find me. Sweet. So if you guys are looking to build a media arm, he's the guy to look at um, in the industry. So go follow him. Go follow his newsletter. And thank you for joining. This has been awesome. Appreciate it, Daniel. I uh, love being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.